Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 345 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for bone health and calcium myths. In today's episode, we're going to be talking all about the ways that bone is built and also broken down in the body, just kind of giving you a once over on um, bone density, what all that means, and then talking more about what we can do to support bone density as we age, especially as women. Yes. Today's episode is going to be on top of prior episodes. We've had episode 122 called Building Strong Bones and Supporting Your Structure. We also have episode 205, Structural Health, Bones, Tendons, and More. So more than 100 plus episodes out, I think we're ready to revisit this topic and make sure that you're all empowered with food as medicine, lifestyle, and supplemental support. Totally. All right, before we do all that, let's just have a quick word from our sponsor for today's episode, Carnivore Snacks. Yeah, y'all have been loving Carnivore Snacks. So if you have not tried them yet, this is your call to action to go on over to Carnivore Snacks with an X, that's C-A-R-N-I-V-O-R-E-S-N-A-X.com. Use the code AllieMillerRD and you're going to save 15% off your first order as well as free shipping if you order more than $125 worth. Now, Carnivore Snacks is one of the best ways to get your protein goals met in a tasty, savory delivery that helps you to stay on track with whether you're doing a low-carb diet or just a paleo-clean diet. They only use two delicious ingredients, regenerative agricultural sourced meats, grass-fed, grass-finished, and Redmond Real Salt. Um, They actually like melt in your mouth. They have a very nice mouth feel that some have called a meat pastry because there's like this meltiness of the quality fat. You can even see in the fat colorization that this is grass-fed meat because there's that nice creamy kind of butter yellow look, especially I'm thinking of the ribeye and I'm mouth-watering as I'm wanting to talk about (laughs) it. Um, The way that Carnivore Snacks dehydrates uses a low and slow approach. This is going to retain most of the bioavailable nutrients of the quality sourced meat, but it also gives it this amazing texture. So it's not like chewy, gnawy, like a jerky, um, and it doesn't feel like you're going to tear your teeth enamel out. It is lovely, delicate, but so nutritionally dense. And because it is dehydrated, it's a great way for you to meet your protein goals because each ounce of carnivore snacks comes in instead of just seven um, grams of protein like we'd see in an ounce of meat, we're getting 13 to 19 grams of protein per ounce. So two, almost three times the amount of protein per ounce that you would get in a standard meat serving 
due to their dehydration process. So when you purchase a five ounce bag ranging from $25 to $39, the higher cuts like lamb and such might be a little bit more pricey, but they have sliders like ground beef, pork and also ground lamb, ground chicken, um, that you're going to really get your bang for your buck as far as protein grams per ounce. And I love to even break them up and make them into like a little bit of a trail mix. Stella has been known to love them in her lunch. So a great way to keep like a processed meat out and use a really clean product with still something that's shelf stable, doesn't have to be refrigerated. And I think is user-friendly for all age ranges, Um, even toddlers. This is a great thing to consider if like teething, um, something for them to just kind of be gnawing on. I even think of like baby led weaning. Totally. Instead of giving them those like um, corn puff or rice puff right, teethers no nutrient value they yeah. literally just yeah. need a ribeye slice of carnivore snacks yeah. we should yeah. get miss mabel on we them. should she'll be hilarious Stats. with it she's she's done you know grass-fed bones and things like that so yeah. no reason i wouldn't give right? her some ribeye i think it's time so yes. go on over to carnivore snacks with an x.com use the code ally miller rd enjoy yourself a tasty meat pastry that helps you meet your protein goals and supports the ranchers that are doing things the right way all right, let's do it. So um, before we jump in, you said it's been over 100 episodes. It's been almost 150 since we've talked so. about this topic, which is wild. Um, let's do a quick refresh on what exactly bone is made of and just kind of the primary components and cells that are involved in both bone building and bone breakdown. Yeah. So it's important to note that bone is not stagnant. It is a living, growing tissue, and it's actually comprised predominantly of collagen. Collagen is going to be that protein structure that provides a soft framework. And then calcium phosphate is a mineral that adds in the hardening of this framework. And the combination of collagen and calcium is what makes bones strong yet flexible to withstand stress or pressure or those cartwheels that we're doing in our backyards or running on our knees, etc. Um, so there's various forms of bone cells. The most kind of known are the osteoclasts, osteoblasts, and osteocytes. So your osteoclasts are the ones that break down. I used to think of clasts are the cancelers. Osteoblasts are your bone builders. Um, and these actually become osteocytes when they're deposited into the matrix. And then your osteocytes are just your bone cells. But then kind of beyond that, there's also osteoprogenerator cells, and these are the stem cells of bone, and these play a role in the formation of your osteoblasts. You're bringing me back to like anatomy and physiology 101. Yes. <laughs> yes. C versus the B of osteoblast, osteoclast. Yeah. yeah. And so the big name of the game is that you want to ensure that the body's feedback mechanisms are balanced so that it's not in a upregulation of osteoclast activity, seeing erosion of the mineralized, mineralized bone, um, and that we're actually getting some good synthesis with those osteoblasts. Okay. And then what is osteoporosis? And let's talk about kind of how common that is nowadays. Yeah. So the word itself literally refers to porous bones or basically holes in the bones. Um, And so we see osteopenia as a precursor to osteoporosis, where we're starting to see bone density reducing, um, bone thinning out. And when we get into that world of osteoporosis, we can have much more prone towards injury and fracture. So 
over time, if that bone is met with an injury, we're going to see more fragility in the bone. Um, and that will also drive, um, especially in the world of like pelvis, wrist, scapula, vertebrae. This is what's usually assessed in a bone density scan and tracked through a T and a Z score. Uh, we'll see that as bone density reduces or osteoporosis increases, that there's higher experience of osteoporotic fracture. And of course, fracture can be expensive as far as medical bills and visits. It can also create disability or um, impact on mobility and freedom. Um, and then we can also see this impacting other more harmful harmful health concerns like sepsis, um, bacterial infection. If we're not moving the body, we can see advanced sarcopenia and overall even immune dysfunction from fractures. Okay. And we're looking at one in three women in their lifetime will experience an osteoporotic fracture. So that's pretty significant. Absolutely. Okay. Let's talk risk factors. So who is most at risk and why you just mentioned, um, like the muscle wasting element. Yeah. So I think lack of exercise is a big one. Absolutely. Cause we know that actually having weight bearing activity using the bones and pressing on the bones actually will help to upregulate the osteoblast or that bone building process. So if we're just sitting sedentary, we're not going to be activating and we're just going to be seeing that canceling or breakdown impact driving towards osteoporosis. So weight bearing activity, which can include walking um, and exercise and movement are absolutely essential. We know generally speaking that as we age, we're going to start to see more bone breakdown and and then women tend to be at a higher risk than men because of dynamic changes in estrogen, as well as calcium loss during pregnancy and breastfeeding. Um, we see this exacerbated at age 70 or on in women. And this is also where we think of women maybe getting a little bit more frail and then, you know, of course, becoming more sedentary. We might see um, a diet that is suboptimal in this range, especially if at like a long-term care facility where they're not meeting their protein needs, they're getting too high of processed refined carbs that can disrupt bone health soda drinking can be of a concern stress in general can drive issues with bones and then we also see use of certain medications so ppis SSRIs like antidepressant family, um, PPIs would be in the world of Nexium and heartburn medications, aromatase inhibitors, which would regulate or impact uh, sex hormone um, because these can bring down estrogen levels, uh, which would be concerning if we need that estrogen connection for bone support. Fertility drugs, anti-seizure medications, and steroids are known to be big drivers of bone loss. And then on its own, nutritional deficiencies, which some could be exacerbated, like PPIs can interfere with magnesium absorption and other minerals, but we especially see vitamin D, K, magnesium, phosphorus, and calcium as key elements of deficiency that can drive bone loss. And then I would also call out a diet that's high in refined sugar, gluten, and or fructose. Yes. Uh, so we've actually seen a 2.48, so almost 2.5 fold greater odds of frailty in individuals who consume greater than 36 grams a day of added sugar 
versus those who consume less than 15 grams a day. That's where I think of poor granny and her sweet tooth kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Eat her pie after right, her lunch right. and, all, and then the ice cream at dinner. Um, and so I think that there's that like, oh, let them live. They've lived a long life, but also you want them to have quality and freedom in their frame. Um, and so being mindful of those refined sugars and gluten and fructose are really a high priority. Totally. Um, and this is where I think, you know, a low carb diet could be a great foundational tool um, for aging parents and whatnot, but for anyone looking to prevent bone loss, you know, starting in our thirties. And the mechanism as far as fructose is also in that same vein of the fructose concerns with hypertension, which we see elevated blood pressure, of course, increased risk with age as well. And that's because one of the mechanisms is that fructose depletes magnesium along with other minerals associated with bone health. And so we know that when dietary fructose levels are high, um, magnesium levels will be lower in the individual. Um, and so the fructose adversely affects our macro mineral balance in the body. Um, and then this can impact, of course, down the line, kidney calcification, um, because we can see fructose increasing kidney buildup of calcium, um, which we'll address, you know, so it's not maybe the calcium supplementation. Uh-huh. Don't blame the, the calcium supplementation for what the fructose did um, in your pudding. Sounds familiar. Um, yes. yes. <laughs> so things to really consider. And it's leading back to that mineral imbalance from high fructose consumption. Okay. So really driving down, um, those minerals. And then, um, we can also see, you know, with a low carb diet, um, we're automatically going to go more gluten and grain free. Um, and we've seen gluten actually very strongly associated with osteoporosis as well, especially in celiacs. Yes. So in celiacs, of course, it's going to be that the gluten disrupts that epithelial gut lining tissue. And so we aren't able to absorb any, you know, nutrients or, or many nutrients along that gut blood barrier. Um, and unfortunately there is a higher amount of prevalence of celiac disease that we see with osteoporotic, um, individuals. So we've looked at different prevalence, um, studies that have shown that it can be three and a half percent higher risk factor of osteoporosis in those that have celiac as paired, compared to those that don't. So going lower carb means you're also not getting gluten. And we know, you know, going gluten-free as long as not replacing with other processed foods, if going gluten-free and doing more almond flour um, or doing more quality whole food-based replacements like sweet potatoes, et cetera, you're going to be getting more antioxidant and such, and also less of the toxins that we see associated with gluten consumption because we know that wheat with its hybridization carries also glyphosate, neurotoxin, and other elements that can disrupt mineral balance, but also accelerate the aging process with oxidative stress. Totally. Um, So I'm thinking our 12-week meal plan could be a really good kind of entry point for anyone, you know, low-carb, curious, or interested. Um, Just a really good kind of clean way of eating uh, that could be supportive for sure. And then I want to talk about this estrogen element um, because I think that's huge as well. So let's talk about the estrogen and bone loss connection. Yeah. So our bone cells actually have estrogen receptors on them and optimal estrogen is going to promote osteoblasts, which are those bone building cells. And so when estrogen levels decline, we have less bone building activity and that can then create an imbalance in that relationship with the osteoclast osteoblast. So you're breaking down or canceling bone at a higher rate than in which you would be building. 
Um, we also know that estrogen inhibits the bone resorption process of the clasts. And so you're getting a two for one hit. You're reducing the bone building activity while you're allowing an unchecked balance, if you will, with those osteoclasts. Um, and so we'll see more of that bone breakdown as estrogen levels decline. We also know, however, that low testosterone in men can decrease bone mass. And this can be more relative to muscle mass mm -hmm. and sarcopenia or muscle wasting in individuals. Um, and then even progesterone actually has its own sexual hormone influence. We know that low progesterone can drive bone loss. Um, and this can actually decline even as an indicator before estrogen levels decline, before you go perimenopause or are dealing with hot flashes, you might have fluctuations with sex hormone that are worth looking into, especially if you have a strong familial history of osteoporosis. And this is where the consideration of bioidentical hormone supplementation, I think would be appropriate for sure. Um, of course, testing salivary levels of hormone first yes. before supplementing. Yeah. So we can link our neurohormone complete plus panel. Um, this would absolutely be the go-to, uh, maybe you are one year postpartum and baby's weaned and you still haven't really gotten your period back on track. Maybe you're looking at fertility, maybe you're perimenopausal or postmenopausal, and you want to know if there is a need for hormone balance in your body. This would be the great, the greatest place to start. And it's also going to look at your regulation of stress with cortisol, as well as your neurotransmitters or the brain chemistry that impacts mood. Yes. And I think unfortunately, so women, so many women are just, you know, told like, okay, you're in menopause. It's time to start that Fosamax or that Bona or one of the other kind of conventional osteoporosis drugs. Yes. So bisphosphates are kind of the longest standing drug on the market that we think of as far as the go-tos for most general practitioners if they start to see your z-score or t-score reducing and bisphosphates come with side effects such as constipation abdominal pain nausea vomiting they can actually increase fracture risk which is kind of you know counterintuitive of why you would take these drugs in the first place would be to ideally support bone health and prevent fracture risk. Uh -huh. um, and then there's just a lot of GI stuff beyond like the nausea and um, bowel shifts. We also even see difficulty swallowing, irritation of the esophagus, and then neuromuscular pain. And this can radiate into the joints and bones. Um, and we've even seen esophageal cancer as consideration. So uh, may not be the first line of defense when we're calling out the kind of cost to benefit impact there. Totally. And I just raise an eyebrow at increased fra fracture risk. Like why would we be so interesting. taking that? Yeah. Um, and I wonder about the informed consent or if we're just going right on that. But right. anyway. And then CIRMS. Um, so CIRMS, the, this concept stands for Selective Estrogen Response Modulator um, or Selective Estrogen Receptor Modulator. And so these are different compounds that basically behave or mimic estrogen. Um, so raloxifen is one of the known CIRMS on the market. And this basically will sit on that bone receptor site where the estrogen would otherwise dock and it would inhibit that unmanaged element of the osteoporosis clasts. So it's going to inhibit that bone resorption or breakdown process. Now the impact of concern is that it's behaving as an estrogen mimicking compound. So we can see impact on breast tenderness, hot flashes. We can also see the blood clotting risk factors that we see with like hormonal birth control. So increased risk for blood clots, DVTs, pulmonary embolism, um, all as considerations of risk. 
Okay. And then we often see hormone replacement therapy started kind of in this population around the same time too, right? Yeah. And you know, this, if done with testing and in a bioidentical form is my number one go-to yes. as yep. far as an individual that has bone loss concerns. Um, I would like to always look at their salivary hormone assessment, see where their estradiol or E2 level is at, as well as where their estriol or E3 and estrone are at. So all three forms of estrogen. And then we're going to want to ensure that we use a bioidentical estrogen that is in an 80-20 blend of an E3 to E2. This means that they're getting that estrogen antagonist or estrogen regulator of the estriol. Um, that's going to prevent estrogen dominance or the estrogen cancer-related risk factors. Um, and that's going to ensure also then beyond supporting bone health, we can manage if we're using bioidentical um, estrogen, excuse me, any bioidentical hormone for that matter. I like to test um, in like four to six month windows until we see consistency and we're not modulating the dosage. Once we see consistency, I still like to test at least twice a year to make sure that we are appropriately supplementing with that hormone and we're not going over or under. Sure. That's going to also have the added benefit of skin health, mood stability, vaginal health, and good vaginal lubrication, preventing vaginal atrophy and tissue breakdown. And so there absolutely could be a need for hormone replacement therapy. Just be strategic about making sure that you test, don't guess. Don't let your GP to just tell you that you get to stick something up there as a suppository or pellet or some form of hormone if you aren't regularly staying on top of the data because you need to see how your body's metabolizing that hormone to ensure that you're taking the appropriate dosage and form. Totally. All right. So that gives a little bit of background of some of the risk factors, at least. Um, let's go ahead and get into just more of what you can do at this point. Right. Um, so incorporating weight bearing exercise, I think would be like my first number one recommendation. Yes. I've been on this like pillar of this fact that came out from Cochrane library on the fact that women lose three to 5% of their muscle mass per decade, starting in our thirties. And so as I'm like approaching 39, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going into that next decade. We need to put a hard stop on this. Um, so I've been always, uh, a avid nature walker slash hiker yoga, and I like to dance. I've also picked up horseback riding in the last two years, but this is the year that I decided that I'm going to do a little bit more resistance training and like figure out how to work with kettlebells and weights, <laughs> because we know that actually weight bearing resistant exercise is what will have the biggest impact on supporting bone density and also aiding in that lean body mass, which is going to support better metabolic health. So we're going to burn more calories if we have improved um, muscle mass. And then we want to pair that exercise with bioavailable protein consumption, um, especially grass-fed whey. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in a non-denatured grass-fed whey, you'll actually also get compounds like basic, um, excuse me, milk basic protein or MBP. And this is a fractionated component of a non-denatured whey, which is actually a promoter of bone health. It stimulates those osteoblasts and it inhibits those osteoclasts. So it's resetting that ratio, which can go off kilter, especially in perimenopausal and menopausal women. So another reason that those of you listeners that fall into that age range category need a scoop of naturally nourished grass-fed whey on the daily. It also is going to support lean body mass. It can help with satiety. We get a good boost of antioxidants like glutathione and cysteine and immunoglobulins to help us during cold flu and viral season, but that milk basic protein fraction from whey specifically having that impact on bone build, I think is really essential. Yes. 
All right, and then next up, we want to ensure that we're incorporating vitamin D and K, uh, both in the diet and as a supplement. Yeah, so in the world of diet, we look to salmon, we look to egg yolk um, as forms of vitamin D. Mushrooms would also be a reasonable option there. Um, And then we're looking in vitamin K at getting this from fermented foods. So vitamin K we're going to get from like our kimchi, our sauerkraut, our kombucha. We also manufacture vitamin K in the gut. And then we can also get vitamin K and vitamin D from our organs. So incorporating organs into foods or like eating oysters, which are nature's multivitamin, um, getting those organelle intact is going to be a great boost of these fat soluble vitamins. And then when we're looking at intake now, I do think that vitamin D is something you should at least annually be assessing, but maybe semi-annual, especially if you've had to, again, adjust your supplementation to get into ideal range. I like vitamin D levels between 50 to 80, especially during times of peak immune need. So you can actually, with ease, order a vitamin D blood spot on our website at AllieMillerRD.com. That's an easy way to check vitamin D status for all household members. It's just a quick finger stick and you press it on to the lab assessment paper that gets mailed and you get your data back if your doctor won't run it in your annual. But again, that goal range is about being between 50 to 80. Most adults are going to need 5,000 IUs a day. Kiddos are going to range between needing somewhere between 500 to 2,000 IUs a day. But we still need to look at that unique element of how your body's absorbing and using. And if you're supplementing with vitamin D, which most individuals will be required to do so, it's really important that we incorporate vitamin D with K2. Um, This helps to ensure that we regulate our calcium metabolism. So vitamin D is like the gatekeeper to actually help calcium absorption and vitamin K2 acts as like the traffic cop, which basically directs the calcium where to go. And this is important because we have seen in some studies that long-term vitamin D isolate supplementation can drive calcification or kidney stones or calcification of our arteries or vessels. So if you're doing a carotid calcium scan, we definitely want to make sure that we're using the calcium and delivering it to the bone. And that's the essential element of that K2. And so why we name our vitamin D, vitamin D balanced blend is because it has that vitamin D in a bioactive form with that K2. And this is available in a liquid as well as a capsule product. And it can be dose dependent all the way from infancy through elderly population. I can't tell you how many clients I'm always taking them off the like drugstore variety of vitamin D. And I'm like, we talk about this every three episodes or so. I, I know. Swear, but it seems like the one that so you could save some money on. Yeah. Um, same yeah. with like our bio C plus. I'm like, there's a plus in there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Um, let's talk calcium because you know, that's a big focus of bone health, obviously. And, and part of the name of this episode. So we better talk about it. Yeah. So like I said, your bone is comprised of collagen and calcium phosphate. Okay. And so when we look at calcium, 99% of the body's calcium is actually present in our bones and our teeth. And we know that calcium supplementation can benefit osteoporosis by reducing the rate of bone loss by giving that raw material in which the bone requires to build. 
Um, and so we're looking at as far as diet, this is where we could use raw milk. This is where we could lean into a full fat Greek yogurt, especially to get that dual impact of maybe the probiotics giving us a boost of vitamin K. We're also going to get the protein and that strained yogurt. So maybe that's a triple effect there, which would be a good recommendation. We can get calcium in bone in foods like sardines. That's a great form. Um, and we can also get calcium in um, other dairy forms like raw aged cheddar, etc. Now, I would say if we're dealing with osteopenia or porosis and or we've seen a functional deficiency of calcium in a lab assessment, the diet alone is not going to be sufficient. So this is where we would definitely recommend our osteofactors. Our osteofactors uses an MCHC form of calcium. So this stands for microcrystalline hydroxycalapatite. And this is the actual bone matrix from New Zealand grass-fed cows. Um, and this is a complete bone, which has its own unique bone growth factors in that integrity of that matrix. It's going to absorb far superior to like a calcium citrate or carbonate or gluconate or calcium lactate. There's many elemental forms out there, but they just don't have that active bioavailability as well as that actual hormetic effect of impacting bone growth factor. Yeah. So when we're looking at like the calcium chewables that are out there or gummies or, you know, the new kid on the block <laughs> calcium supplement of whatever form of those. I get to eat it in a cookie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> too um, good to be true. Too good to be true. Um, but we've actually seen side effects, including constipation. And then you mentioned the kidney stones and calcification of arterial plaques, um, which is super concerning. So we want that calcium in the bone matrix, highly bioavailable form. And then we want the D3K2 blend to tell that calcium where to go. Absolutely. I think that that's essential. And so you would never want to supplement calcium without the presence of vitamin D with K2. And also you wouldn't want to supplement with just an elemental calcium. You want that bone matrix of that MCHC like we have in our osteofactors. Totally. Um, next up, let's talk magnesium because this is going to play a role with vitamin D deficiency for sure yeah. and, and calcium homeostasis. Yeah. And so, you know, magnesium and calcium work in a counterpart. So we think of like muscle contraction, muscle relaxation, et cetera. Um, and so we do think of if you're especially supplementing with magnesium and a lot of you are because relax and regulate is our number one supplement. Um, we do want to think of separating our magnesium supplementation time from our time of our osteofactors or that MCHC form of calcium. Um, but magnesium on its own and as a deficiency can require or drive issues of bone structure concern. Um, and so we do know that magnesium plays a role in healthy bone structure and it plays a role with the regulation of those osteoblasts and osteoclasts. And it also will play a role in homeostasis of other mineral balance. So it can maintain balance of our potassium. It can also, like I said, interplay with calcium and it's not a direct block, but there is an interplay within them. So again, I would just state that I usually recommend taking osteofactors with your meals. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're larger tablets. I will say that. And, um, I want to cover this because this comes up a lot 
if you're giving this to an elderly parent and they're having a hard time swallowing, what I suggest doing is running them in a coffee grinder or an herb grinder on high and then just doing a tablespoon of that powder into yogurt or a smoothie. Um, that's a great way to get them in as the dosage of three per day without having to swallow the larger pills. Um, but either way, taking them generally with food is going to be appropriate. And then you might take that magnesium in the evening. Sure. Um, and that's going to help also with then that neuromuscular release and depth and quality of sleep. Um, but we did see in a four-year study that elderly adults um, with increased magnesium intake were associated with higher bone mineral density in their forearm and hips. All right, let's move on and let's talk collagen because as you mentioned, this is like the integral part other yeah. than calcium of our bone. Um, so I want to cover specifically how um, our pure collagen is formulated to support bone health. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, collagen is the majority of the framework of the bone. Um, so we could argue equally as important as calcium. It's just that collagen as an extracted compound is kind of a newer kid on the block as opposed to calcium supplementation. Um, and with that being said, collagen peptides are going to be derived from beef hide, generally speaking, um, or from bone. So we get this from connective tissue. What's unique about our pure collagen in our naturally nourished supplement line is that we use an enzymatic process and a lower heat extraction. And through the enzymatic process, we're actually able to take the large bound molecules that are not bioavailable in most collagen products and break those down into single bond, single bound compounds so that you're able to get bioavailability on three different uh, peptides that have been shown in clinical research. So we look at Verisol, we look at Fortigel, and we look at Fortibone. And Fortibone, for intent and purpose of today's episode, is going to be the most remarkable. This peptide found only in a unique extraction of collagen like our pure collagen is actually able to stimulate bone cells to increase the synthesis of bone components. So you actually are able to produce more collagen in the bone when you're getting the peptide of the Forda bone in your collagen formula. And this creates like a signaling effect to osteoblasts or these bone building cells. This is going to play a way to counterbalance collagen degradation that we would otherwise see in the extracellular bone matrix. And this is essential if we're looking for remineralizing or building up our bone density. We know that the use of Forda bone has actually been shown in many clinical studies to actually reduce the osteoclast activity and create more synthesis of collagenous bone matrix. In fact, we looked at a randomized placebo-controlled double-blind study, so that's gold standard of literature, over a one-year period with 180 women. And these women were dealing with reduced bone mass, and they uh, participated in a therapy with either five grams of Fortibone or a placebo. And we saw changes in their DEXA scans, so their actual bone density measurable scans that would be acknowledged in all medical field. And we saw those that used the active Fortibone had significant improvement in bone density. Super impressive. And we're looking at to get that five grams of the Fortibone specifically about one and a half to two scoops of that 
pure collagen, which I think is very doable, right? That can go in our morning coffee or our tea, um, or we can split it up and do a scoop in there and then a scoop in our shake later on with our grass-fed whey and what have you. Um, And you also are going to reap the other benefits beyond the bone building piece of the puzzle of less cellulite, stronger hair, skin, nail appearance, all of the things. So I think worthwhile all better elasticity yes. in the skin, all things Less that joint kind of pain. decline yeah. with aging. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. that's the, the Forda gel in there. We've seen really beautiful studies of less joint soreness and just less joint inflammation and supported cartilage function. So beyond just like the big bones that we look at for DEXA scans, you're getting better joint and bone function. Sure. Yep. Um, and then last, um, in terms of nutrients, we look at potassium, um, as another mineral of focus, um, when it comes to bone health. Yeah. We've seen clinical trials of potassium supplementation showing that this mineral can increase bone formation and decrease that resorption or breakdown. Um, and potassium deficiency on the latter end can actually increase the, the risk of bone turnover or bone breakdown. So using maybe dried fruits or lentils or squash would be lovely, banana in your grass-fed way smoothie or a handful of spinach, this could work as a great way to boost that up. All right. Let's cover now some calcium myths, just kind of rapid fire. Um, so this first one we hear all the time, doesn't all that calcium cause kidney stones or doesn't supplementing with calcium cause kidney stones? And so the big picture is that generally kidney stones are mostly calcium oxalate stones and it tends to really be more of the excess of oxalic acid and also individuals that can't metabolize these oxalates. Um, and so, you know, I've recently said like, don't freak out about everything having oxalates. Like I can't have spinach ever, etc. cetera. Um, now this would be a reason why spinach wouldn't be a good calcium choice because it's bound up right. in, in those oxalates. Um, but you know, we think of eating in variety and as long as you're not someone that's dealt with history of kidney stones, we don't have to be super tight on also managing oxalates in our produce. Um, just keeping whole real foods should be reasonable. Um, but I would argue that those individuals also are likely not optimized in their D3K2. Sure. So just like we said, you know, you need that traffic cop to show the calcium where to go and where to be delivered. Um, and calcium on its own won't cause stones, but I will also take that a step further and say beyond the D3K2, like we said, you need the MC form to really get that bone building effect of calcium that we don't always see in the other elemental forms. Okay. How about this one? Keto leaches calcium from your bones or keto is bad for bone health. So I would go back to that fructose talk that we were just saying, right? So it's like, well, honestly, when we're looking at um, leaching from the bones, we see the most offensive players as refined sugar and fructose. So keep that in mind. And then, you know, as far as a ketogenic diet, if it's a really high processed protein diet, we might have some unfavorable impact on kidney, especially if the individual is not dealing with hydration appropriately and they don't have good electrolyte regulation. 
But with that being said, um, when we look at protein intake, we actually see so many studies that show that protein intake correlates to a stronger and more dense bone formation. Um, and so I'm not concerned about low carb impacting bones. I worry about acidity in the blood and you can absolutely do like we talk about Dr. Annika Becca and our Mediterranean approach to keto. This is more of an alkaline keto. You know, we're not doing an acidic fast food, dirty keto approach. So I would only worry if we are doing a lot of diet soda in our keto and we're eating like processed fast food burger patties stacked up and not getting in those leafy greens and lemon and herbs and seasonings and spices that would regulate that blood pH and keep us into an optimal range. I do not have any concern with our approach to keto having unfavorable effects. In fact, it would be my recommendation of food as medicine to support structural and bone health. Yes. All right. Um, You can get enough calcium from a plant-based diet is the next one up. Yeah. So you're absolutely obviously not getting that MCHC bone matrix form of calcium. You're also, guess what? Not getting collagen in a plant-based diet because collagen comes from, like I said, bone or hide. Um, And so you really do need to be eating closer to an ancestral and at least eating as an omnivore to have best bone health. We've actually seen research that show that vegans have a lower intake of calcium and vitamin D because again, we talked about vitamin D stored in the organs or letting the salmon make the vitamin D. Um, And we see that um, vegans tend to have lower bone mineral density compared to non-vegans. And this can drive a higher risk factor of fractures. Um, We know that the really only sources of calcium for vegans are coming with some anti-nutrients. Like I mentioned earlier, how that oxalates in the spinach will block the calcium absorption, how soy has phytates, um, legumes have phytates, and then nuts and seeds. And you're definitely not getting bioavailable calcium as you would in raw milk. Um, We're actually getting that basic milk protein like you do in our grass-fed way if you're doing almond milk lattes. Yes. And even the like calcium-rich vegetables again the spinach you know the high oxalate foods you're looking at about five percent of the calcium found in them actually being able to be absorbed yeah Um, but then we look at like the rda that we're you know getting from i don't know kale cabbage broccoli brussels sprouts some of the other um vegetables that are touted as calcium risk rich you're getting like three to six percent of the RDA. So it's really not that significant. Yeah. I remember when I was vegan and I think it was actually calcium. Um, I had to do like a visual of like how much broccoli greens, et cetera, Mm -hmm. compared to other bioavailable calcium rich foods. And that was a part of what really helped me to make peace with becoming an omnivore of really understanding how an animal can do so much of that work for you. And especially an animal like a ruminant that has, you know, three pouches of digestion to assimilate and absorb as opposed to us. Totally. Um, and I will call out here just dairy-free options. Mm-hmm. Um, I often with clients have to navigate this if they are, you know, dairy-free or if they came up on their MRT is sensitive to, you know, cow's milk. Um, obviously I like the dairy, you know, first is like the raw milk, the Greek yogurt, cottage cheese, raw aged cheese, as you mentioned. Um, but for dairy-free sardines can actually be a good source yeah. because, or anchovies, because you're eating the entire, you know, fish intact with its tiny bones that are small enough. They're not going to like poke your mouth or you won't know that they're there. Um, and then salmon that is canned with bones. Yes. Um, so like the traditionally canned salmon from, um, wild, 
planet um, or vital choice has a traditionally canned salmon. I have to talk clients into that, but once they've tried it, put it in like a salmon salad or our nori roll-ups, they really don't notice that it's there. Yeah. And then we can link the Thai sardine cakes for sure. And I just uh, developed a great recipe for salmon cakes, which will be coming out in a new project that we will be talking about soon. Um, And those are really fabulous as well. And then, yeah, you said the nori wrapped ones in our stress uh, I guess stress busting snacks video. We have yes. that on YouTube so you can see how to roll it and all that fun stuff. Yep. All right. Last one here. Drinking coffee or tea is bad for calcium absorption. Okay. So we do see after three cups of coffee um, or tea that we might have an increased risk of calcium loss, but we're not seeing under that amount of consumption. So my recommendation would be to keep your coffee and tea to two cups a day. So maybe keep to one cup of coffee, have a midday tea, and then you can go herbal with your other teas, of course. Um, but I've also been asked that about collagen. Um, now that I've been showing my little coffee bar and my smoothie station, people have been asking, hey, um, if you add that collagen, that, that pure collagen from your line to your morning coffee, is that going to get depleted or are you going to block the absorption? And that's just not the case. Um, I also like to add a splash of raw milk. In fact, I use coffee as a splash and raw milk is my yes, delivery. Yes. So I do like six ounces of raw milk on ice with like two ounces of coffee. And then I put in a scoop and a half of the pure collagen from our line. And I find that to be a really lovely grounding way to start the day. And, um, you know, I'm not concerned about that one or two cups of coffee coffee or tea. Um, what I will say that we do see for sure in the literature in any form of consumption is the phosphoric acid that's in soft drinks. Um, this definitely gets into that bone breakdown process and especially concerning in consumption with adolescents. Totally. So you might be yep. like, oh, well, my teenager or my kiddo can have soda on occasion. They're not dealing with obesity. They run off the sugar. Again, we already talked about how sugar in itself can have harmful effect on bone but especially in ages of bone growth and development and hormonal change, especially insult to injury with that phosphoric acid of soft drink. Um, So one to really watch and all of those again have fructose, not just refined sugar. Totally. And that like 12 to 18 timestamp is super, super critical for bone growth. So like, don't think this whole episode is for little old ladies. Like we are (laughs) talking to you and even you with the, you know, tweens and teenage daughters and sons too, right? Um, really need to start thinking about these things proactively versus once we've gotten a bone mineral density scan back that tells us things are on the decline. Yes. And I can't call out the mamas enough because I definitely see in the teeth, accelerated teeth issues post breastfeeding or during breastfeeding. And we know again that that collagen and calcium is stored in the teeth as well. Um, And then just bone pain and achiness. And often that's a first cardinal sign of calcium deficiency. So I do always recommend it's not in our mama to be bundle, but it's a pretty good lean into, um, you know, beyond your multi-avail mama and your restore baseline probiotic and that EPA DHA extra during especially that second and third trimester of pregnancy throughout breastfeeding to consider at least two a day of our osteofactors and getting in some of these calcium supporting foods so that you're not digging yourself out of a ditch with your calcium stores, especially if you're having babies back to back, even more is the concern. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'm taking that recommendation to heart this this time around. I was not as proactive with Noah and then I showed up with a very deficient calcium. And you can tell a difference, you know, with using the supplementation. Yep. Yep. I could totally feel 
feel it, like especially in my knees uh, when I was doing lunges and getting down on the floor. And this time around, I'm not as creaky. Love it. And you're getting down the floor a lot more because you got a toddler, Chase, and a baby. <laughs> just, so just true. all the things. <laughs> Love it. So we hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, sharing is caring. So if this resonates with you and you think a coworker or a friend or family member would benefit from a listen, send it over to them as a text link. And while you're on your listening app, wherever you're listening, whether it's Spotify or Apple iTunes, go ahead and leave us a five-star review with a sentence or two about what you're loving learning from Becky and myself and what you like about the Naturally Nourished podcast. And then we always put all of our comprehensive show notes with links to products discussed. You can find carnivore snacks on there. And again, use that code AllieMillerRD and check out all the supplement recommendations over at AllieMillerRD.com. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.